Welcome back, y'all, to Easter Aftermath 2.0. Let's give guys a chance to just grab a seat. Who of you loves sequels? Some people love sequels, right? Okay, okay. So, so I know it's a bit of a, like a thing. Some people are like, oh, they're never as good as the first one, you know. I didn't like where they took the storyline. How uh, <laughs> I many of you don't like sequels? Like, man, they're just like, you didn't even make effort to go and see a sequel. Well, I, in fact, love sequels. Because you know why? Because when they say they lived happily ever after, I just don't believe them. Because <laughs> I know that ain't true. <laughs> I mean, we just watched Shrek 2 the last, the last couple of weeks. And man, was there some issues in their happily ever after. My goodness, father-in-law wanted to kill him. Shrek wanted to give up on his marriage. You know, donkey became a horse, but he was still just a donkey. Um, <laughs> And uh, I'll tell you what, happily ever afters are usually an empty promise. You better watch the sequel because you need to see what's going to happen after. Um, luckily, the Bible gives us an incredible sequel y'all, to the first story. I don't know if you know this, but the first story of the Bible, sometimes referred to as the First Testament or the Old Testament, actually culminates in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Did you realize that? I know the New Testament starts with the beginning of the life of Jesus written in scriptures, but actually Jesus still lived in and under the old covenant and under the law. His whole life was in the old covenant. And so all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually describes the life of Jesus under the conditions and the agreement that God had with man in the old testament, the old agreement, the old covenant that God made with man. And, and the, 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 the culmination, the climax of the first covenant is that, or no, say the first, let's just call it rather the old covenant because there were many like covenants in, 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 in the Old Testament. But the old covenant that God had with man was when the hero died and was resurrected again, amen? That's like the victory, that's the, 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 the battle, the epic battle at the end is Jesus descending to hell, taking authority back from Satan, leading those who believed in him that was in captivity, out of captivity, and then doing the best thing of all, rising from the dead himself in such an incredible form, bodily, that people were able to recognize him, he was able to uh, be touched and, 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 and interact with, he was able to eat, and um, we spoke last week just about the incredible reality of the resurrection and how the empty tomb wasn't just an empty promise it was a reality that we can trust in and so in comes the sequel because how many of y'all know the disciples didn't just live happily ever after right (laughs) after the resurrection there were some incredible things that started to happen and that they experienced and so Today we're doing Easter Aftermath 2.0. If you want to l- listen to 1.0, you can find it on our app or on our website somewhere. Just go to um, the listen part for Crowley. You'll, you'll find that one there. All right, so, so last week we shared that Jesus began doing four things. The first one, that he was appearing to his disciples, proving to them that he was alive. And then he started explaining to them how um, he and what has happened has been the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Messiah that they've been waiting for. Is this thing like totally cooked here? Okay. <laughs> um, 
And uh, we read in Luke 24 verse 13 that there was these two of his followers that was on their way to a, a little town called Emmaus. And about, uh, it was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they were talking with each other, it says um, about all the things that had happened while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself drew near to them and he went with them. And, 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 and the Bible says on his way, he started talking to them about Moses and the prophets and he, prophets, and he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now it says that they weren't allowed to kind of know who he was. It was kind of kept from them to realize, man, this is the resurrected Jesus. Because remember, they were living in a real world where they just saw Jesus die. So they weren't expecting Jesus to just walk up to them and start talking about himself to them, right? And so even if there was maybe like a vague familiarity about the, uh, about the person that they were with, the reality of his death was so overwhelming that the thought didn't even dawn on them that, hey, maybe this is Jesus. After a while, Jesus, the Bible says he broke bread. And as he broke bread and tells them, this is my body broken for you, all of a sudden their eyes opened up and they realized who this was because that's what he would always do, right? And they realized that and the Bible says in that minute he disappeared. And they were so excited that Jesus, they, they saw Jesus alive that they just went up and they went back to Jerusalem and they found the disciples and they told them Jesus was alive. Um, in Acts 1 verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive to them during and after, sorry, uh, after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You want to go and see what those many proofs are about in the first sermon because it's just incredible to see how real um, the, the, the declaration that Jesus is alive is for us today. So <clears throat> we see the disciples doing this first two of, or four things that we were going to talk about. First, they were waiting and hiding in fear. They were absolutely convinced that they were going to be the next people to be persecuted, to be found and to be killed. And so they were hiding. And then Jesus starts appearing to them, but they're uncertain. The Bible says many of them doubted. And so there was this, this absolute, this, this, this joy, and then this like doubt. And then it's like, you can imagine just the, the, you know, the uncertainty of the moment, like surely we saw him dead and now here he is alive. What does this mean? And, and so there was a wandering stage of them just asking him questions and wondering what's going on. Is it even true? Um, and Jesus just patiently, patiently showing himself again and again to people to make sure they understand that he is truly alive. Last week we concluded by just showing how Jesus is patiently showing himself to each and every one of us in our lives constantly over and over that he is alive and that he is the way into salvation and he's calling each and every one of us to grab a hold of that truth and to put our trust in it and put our faith in it today we're concluding this little two ser two-part series and y'all uh, um i realize i put kind of a lot in these these messages so if you want to grab a piece of thing or something and make some notes so you can think about it later again i absolutely suggest that but um it's just so incredible the the this moment cannot be other than jam-packed with truth and revelation because it was the revelation of what jesus had come to do it was the it was the the the, the reveal the great reveal of the ep most epic story of all time and so I think it's right for us to just consider deep things about this moment so that we grasp the fullness of what Jesus did for us, not only on the cross, but also through the resurrection. All right, so we see 
Jesus doing two more things. He starts teaching them about a number of things, four topics, in fact, that he starts talking to them about. And then he commissions them. He gives them their purpose. And we're going to talk about that today. Jesus taught about four things after the resurrection. Number one, he started showing them how the scriptures pointed to him and how he was the true biblical Messiah that was to come. Now, before Jesus' death, he often asked his disciples, and once, once it's recorded in scripture, who do people say I am? Right? And so they would say, well, you know, you're this man or that good prophet or, you know, this teacher. Um, and, and, and then Jesus followed it up by asking, okay, so who do you say I am? Because for Jesus, it was important that they knew who he was for them. Right? The amazing thing about one of the names of God is that he's called Yahweh. We sing that song, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout, right? shout your name, oh Lord. Well, that word Yahweh, that means that he is the God who is and the God that relates to us. In other words, the God that meets us. When the Bible says Adam and Eve were hiding in the in the, in the, in the, in the um, um, uh, in the garden, after they had just sinned, uh, in the beginning, God, the creator, the official title, the, 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 the almighty God created. But the minute they messed up and Bible says God came visiting them in the garden, it wasn't the judge of all earth and, and universe that showed up. The Bible says Yahweh came. And walked in the garden and calling out to them. Why? Because he's the God that relates to us in our point of need. Whatever it is that you have messed up in, he wants to come and be your salvation. He's the God that meets us, that relates with us. The beauty of this is that Jesus wanted them to understand that he is the God that relates. The God that came from heaven to earth to relate to us in the most intimate of ways so that you would be able to understand every single thing that you and I would go through. Every single question, every single concern that you have, no matter how big or small you are, God wants to meet you in that concern and he wants to journey with you and show you his perspective and through that show you his life, his love, his joy, his excitement for your life, no matter where you are and what you're going through and who, or, or who you are. It was important for Jesus that his disciples understood who he was. Then, and because it was then, it should be also now, right? It should be important for us to realize who Jesus is. Problem is, even today, many false concepts of Jesus are in existence. Many people speak about a Jesus that is different from what the Bible proclaims about him. And so it's, 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 it's sad because an erroneous, how do you say that word? An erroneous? An erroneous understanding I tried, I tried to, to, to practice that word. <laughs> they say if somebody, if somebody says an some, uh, says English word, you know, somebody with an accent says an English word bad, don't judge him because he actually knows that word in another language. An erroneous understanding of who Jesus is will lead to an erroneous theology of salvation. This is so important, y'all. If we have the wrong view of who Jesus is, it influences our belief system about how we get saved. 
For instance, if you believe, as some really honestly do, that call themselves Christians, that Jesus was a created man who attained divinity through his perfect life. And his life now is for us a model to follow. Your understanding of salvation would be that somehow you too have to live and grow to live a perfect life in order to reach full salvation. Your view of Jesus will influence your view of salvation, how you think you are to be saved. So even if you claim that you serve Jesus Christ and that He's your Savior and that by grace you are saved, the question is, by what grace? What grace is, that, is it that you are referring to? And what is the mechanism by which that grace saves you? Is it that He has done, D-O-N-E, everything needed for your salvation on your behalf, and you have to trust with belief in Him, as the Bible preaches and teaches, or is it maybe something like, you know, um, He has become divine by His overcoming of His own imperfections, and now is able to show you exactly what you must do, D-O, in order to reach the same. What is your perspective? Is it done or is it do? Because if there is in any form or way a do in your concept, your view of Jesus is warped. Both these options claim Jesus as Savior and grace as its means, but only one can truly save. And here's why. Y'all need to listen to this carefully today. Here's why. Salvation is not just a moral issue. It's also a legal issue. We believe in the right to property ownership, right? This is my property and I can say what happens here, right? This is my property. You can't just take it from me, right? We believe in the right, the human right of ownership. This is my property. The government can't take it from me. You can't take it from me. That's called stealing, no matter who takes it from me, right? We, we believe in that. Well, guess what? The devil also believes in that. And Jesus also believes in that. In fact, we believe in it because he instituted it. So the problem is not that I am a sinner. Merely and therefore, I am morally bad. It's also because I'm a sinner, I have become the property of another. The problem is not that my name is written in God's black book because I was bad. The problem is that my name is written in the devil's book. And I've become a part of his estate. I'm his property. I know this is hard to listen to and hard to hear, but this is the biblical truth. Increasing good moral behavior is not how I escape Satan's estate. There is a legal transaction needed to buy me out of it. God couldn't steal me from the devil. He had to pay to get me. And the only person that can make that acquisition is the biblical Jesus. The one who pays the price on my behalf. 
not the one who shows me how to pay the price. Only the one who says it's done. Remember our word, tetelestai? D-O-N-E, done. Not the one who tries to show you what you must do, D-O. Listen to the scriptures. Titus 2.14, who, talk about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 7, 23. You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of man. Do not become slaves of any man. Especially not religious men who tells you that you have to do X, Y, and Z in order to be saved. Except for putting your trust in Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the price, who has paid the price in full. See, this is what Christ did through paying that price. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. What is a domain? It is an area of authority. It's an area of ownership. I own this domain. Therefore, my will takes place over here. You have to be redeemed out of the domain of darkness. And to be translated into the kingdom, the king's domain, the king being the son of, Je- the son of God, Jesus Christ. That's why salvation and your, your, your mechanism of salvation is so crucially important because you cannot save yourself. You cannot pay the price. None of us were able to pay the price ourselves. That's why we needed a substitute. We needed somebody who would do it on our behalf. And that is why only the Jesus that did that on your behalf and paid it in full on your behalf is worthy to be the legal transaction that buys you out and brings you back into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. Our view of Jesus is important. So here's a question for you that every one of us needs to come to terms with. Who is Jesus for you? Is he just a good moral teacher that tells you how you need to do life? And all you're trying to do is just live up to, you know, kind of like the code? Or is he become your substitute? Has he become your uh, um, uh, your ransom price that bought you out. Because until you have put your complete trust in his price that he paid, you're still trying to save yourself by your own goodness. And that leads only to failure. So I trust that each and every one of us in this church understands that Jesus Christ's death and resurrection wasn't just, you know, uh, a cool story it was a necessary act to provide the only way out of our predicament which is that we were separated from God's estate and residence in another 
Jesus didn't come to make good people better. He came to make dead people alive. And that is so important. That's why Jesus, I believe, we're teaching them about this and why it's so important for us to, to reiterate our view of Christ. No other Christ idea can save you. Only the one that the Bible speaks about because it satisfies both the question about our holiness but also about the legality of Satan's claim over our lives. Second, he spoke about the Holy Spirit. Jesus was preparing them all along about the Holy Spirit, but now he spoke to them and said to them, the promise that I spoke to you before is going to come. And he will guide you in all things. He, 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 he was preparing them for Pentecost. What is Pentecost? 50 days, Penta 5. 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit would come and the disciples, Jesus would baptize the disciples with his Holy Spirit, which would empower them. And the missional activity of the church would be ignited in a moment of encounter with the Holy Spirit. It literally transformed a group of individuals that were fearsome and, 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 and almost unfocused to become a missional force that has for 2,000 years not relented in preaching the gospel to all the earth. Think about that. That's the Holy Spirit. What did he tell them? In Luke 24, 49, we read, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Have you received power from on high? Acts 1.4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. He spoke about this many times. But now he says to them, now it's time for you to receive it. So you have to be in expectation for it. You have to look out for it. Wait for it. Have you waited for that power of the Holy Spirit to come upon you? It's not just something that you just ignore and happenstance happens. No, it's an intentional expectation that you in faith ask for. The Bible says in Luke 11. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And when I talk about us going and bringing the message of God to other places from this place, I see many question marks on people's minds. Let me tell you what, if the Holy Spirit comes on you, your perspective about what you need to do with the reality and revelation of what you've received instantly becomes Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone needs to hear. Everyone needs to feel and experience the love and freedom of Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling them, you've been waiting? Good. But now don't wait in fear anymore. Wait in faith for the promise to come. Because when that promise hits you, your life's going to be transformed. You're going to become bold as heck, and you're going to be able to tell the world what you've experienced. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, the disciples often misunderstood when he spoke about the kingdom because they were looking for an earthly hope. They were looking for emancipation from their human oppressors. 
And because they were so focused on the physical, they missed every time when he spoke about the kingdom that he was speaking about a spiritual world that would completely transcend and, 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 and be more powerful than any earthly kingdom. And so he had to correct them every time. My father's kingdom. He would correct them. It's not, it's not about, uh, about your political aspirations. It's about my kingdom coming and spreading over the earth with this message and this freedom of salvation. He wanted them to find hope in God's eternal kingdom, not place their hope in the physical things that happen. Too many of us are looking around us, waiting for physical things in our government to change before we become positive about life. Forget about those things. They don't have hope for you. Your hope lies in the kingdom of God and the purposes of the kingdom of God for this life. And once you connect to that hope, no move that any politician makes can ever make you despondent. Because you have an eternal hope that anchors you and that propels you. And you don't care who's in office because the kingdom of God is coming through your actions and through your activities and through your, and, 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 and through your involvement in wherever you are. And we don't have to concern ourselves about things that we have no power over. Sure, go vote. But after that, get busy with the kingdom of God. Get busy preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus' resurrection to your mates, to your colleagues, to your friends, to your family. Because that's where the true hope lies. No politician is your hope. I know we're starting to get to midterms and now everybody's going to... Oh, maybe things will turn our way again. Things have turned your way in Christ Jesus. Start living in it. Start realizing what you got and receive the power of it. And don't be any more flinched by winds of doctrine that blows you this way or that way or this guy said that. No, you have an ability. You have something to stand on that's way firmer than a four-year term that goes your way. Jesus had to constantly pull their attention away from these earth things and make them realize the power that they've received in being a part of the kingdom of God. And then he spoke to them about the purpose of the church. Again, Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be my witnesses. Let me tell you what. The church's purpose your and my purpose as Christians, we talk a lot about discovering our purpose. Let me tell you what, you won't discover your specific purpose until you get busy with the general purpose of the church, and that is to be a witness, period. We are called to talk about Jesus. Luke 24, 47. It says, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations proclaimed mark 16 15 says and he said to them go to all the world and proclaim the gospel and we've become all fancy with our you know this is my gift and that's my strength and all of that let me tell you all that describes is how you will do this he doesn't tell you what you do jesus defines what we do and what we do as we talk about him we tell about him we brag about him. We worship him. Because that's what the church does. 
That's our purpose. Jesus spoke about it. In every, every time he spoke about the church, it was in relation to us proclaiming his message. And then he says, incredible things will happen when you step out of faith and try to do it. Miracles will take place. I tell you, if you've become a little distant in your relationship with God, one quick way to solve it, just start engaging in his work. You've been hearing engage in his word. Let me tell you something. You need to start engaging in his work. Because when you engage in his work, his power shows up to confirm his word. And that's so many of us have been missing the true, real power of God, the explanation of all of this, the reality of all of this, because we have been just neglecting his work. These signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons. You can't cast out no demons if you don't go to demon-possessed people. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink deadly poison, you, you won't be given deadly poison in the comfort of your own home. Unless you have one of those wives that are, you know. <laughs> what's that show that we listen to? Stranger Things, or there's that podcast, that date, 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 date night, or something. I don't know. I heard about this woman that was killing people on the crazy stuff happening in this country, I tell you. I'm just kidding. It's, it's every country. I'm just messing. I'm just I'm picking, like my pastor Jamie says. I'm picking. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. To lay your hands on somebody, you kind of have to be next to them. Matthew 28, listen, Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all I have commanded you. The reason why we're calling on people to join life groups, start leading life groups, is so that we can activate you in the work of the gospel. We want you to become active because the more active you are, the more you will experience God. The more you get involved, the more his reality will become your reality. And teach them to observe. I said that, yeah? So what was their response? We see the disciples responding in two ways. After waiting and wandering, they started worshiping and they started working. Check this out. They were faithful and they were missional. They walked by faith, but they also worked by faith. They shared the message by faith. Now listen to me. There is, there is no magical way to share the gospel that results in a conversion every time. I almost feel like getting you all to repeat that after me, but I won't. But I'll repeat it for you. There is no magical way to share the gospel that results in a, in, a, in, a, in a conversion every single time. It doesn't exist. Silver bullet evangelism doesn't exist. It doesn't. Let me tell you what exists. Sowing seed evangelism. That exists. That's biblical. But what requires, it requires faith and patience. Because I'm going to talk about something and you're going to blow me off. I'm going to talk about it again, and you're going to blow me off. I'm going to talk about it again, and you're going to blow me off. You're going to get angry at me. We're going to make up. 
I'm going to be careful, but I'm going to share again. You're going to blow me off. But I want to be persistent because I'm sharing by faith. I am working by faith. I don't see the result immediately, but I know that your word says the gospel of God shared with people is his power that leads to salvation. I know your word says that because I know your word says that I will continue to do it. Or will I? Will I give up? Will I find an excuse to not share the gospel? Well, my church really haven't trained me to do it. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Come, sit up closer. Let me tell you something. We don't have a skill problem. We have a faith deficit. We're not building our faith in what Jesus had told us to do. And so we're, we're quiet. We're waiting until that perfect day where I've got so much knowledge, where I've basically got a degree, a PhD in theology, before I think I'll be able and willing to speak to anybody. No one that is brought onto a witness stand is required to go through training. No one. Why? Because they're not supposed to speak from knowledge and understanding. They're just as supposed to speak from personal experience. This is what I saw. This is what happened to me. This is how I used to be. This is how I am now. The only thing between then and there is the encounter I had with Jesus. It's the only explanation I have for it. There's no other thing that made me. I could not do this by myself. I ain't that good. But something inside me changed when I look into the face of Jesus' love. And I realized that forever my sin was washed away. And that day I bowed my knee and I started serving him as my king. And I tell you what. I'm praying for you that you will find that same moment with him. And the truth is that if you will just consider what he had done, he will do the same for you. We don't have a skill deficit. We have a faith deficit. So we need to build our faith and start working by faith and keep working by faith. We're not going to just see it every time happen magically. Sometime you'll never see that person again. But you know what? Whom of you likes walking around with a little pebble in your shoe? Hands up. Who just loves the irritation of the pebble in the shoe? Seriously, Mr. Tim. You just love that pebble in your shoe. No. All right. No, we don't like. You talk to somebody about Jesus. You put a little pebble in their shoe. You don't have to work at it. The pebble does all the work. At some point, the because like, my goodness, can I just can I just get this this pebble out of my shoe? That's usually a little crisis. I need to figure this out. Why is that guy always positive? Why is that guy always full of joy? Even when he goes through a he was fired or whatever. Didn't get him under. How does he manage to survive without alcohol? How does he survive without a coping mechanism? Pebble. That's all we need. And it helps if we pray. 
<laughs> Absolutely. It helps if we, we call their names out to the Lord as well. But I'll tell you what, if you share the gospel with somebody once, that's a pebble that Jesus will absolutely capitalize on. The Holy Spirit will go to work on that thing. And you might see one year, two years, five, ten years later, that person suddenly on Facebook declares, you know, his faith in some form or way. I've seen it so many times. And each time I go like, thank you, Lord. My imperfect attempts somehow contributed to that person eventually bowing his knee to you. Nobody has a perfect way to do the sharing, the, proclama- the proclaiming. It doesn't exist, but it doesn't have to because we have a perfect Holy Spirit that brings to remembrance the truth every single time of what we share to those people. You see the disciples go out and talk about their experience. They share their perspectives with all who wanted to listen and with those who didn't. Rules be damned. Lest people be damned for not knowing. We have so many rules in our country, in our policies, in our companies, preventing us from speaking about God. Let me tell you, who is your God? Your company or your Savior, Jesus? Find a way around that policy. My goodness. We find ways around policies to go on extra leave. We find ways around policies to do everything we want to do except speaking about Jesus. Find a way around your policy. There is a way. Find a way. Because we have been commanded to speak about Jesus, to talk about Jesus, because He is risen, He's alive, and He's the hope of the world. We don't have a skill deficit. We have a faith deficit. Let us build our faith. Let us build our faith. There are four things I want us to realize about the purpose of the church. That means it's our purpose. Sharing the gospel of Christ, number one, it's our mandate to obey. It's not a suggestion. He says this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world. And then the end will come. We are told to go and tell. Second, it's our ministry to engage. Every believer has been given spiritual gifts. You have been given ways to connect with people. How do you naturally and most joyfully connect with people? That's your way in. That's how you connect with people. But what you do when you connect with people, you talk about Jesus. You tell about your experience with Jesus. You tell them that he wants to relate to them in their situation. If you can't find a ministry, then start one. Start something you like doing and connect talking about Jesus to it. But I think what I'm driving toward is that we have used every other excuse to try and hide our fear and lack of faith. And that has to come to an end. Because it's our mandate to obey. It's our ministry to engage. It's our mission to accomplish. He sent his disciples out. He commissioned them. And his commission became our mission. We're commissioned to go beyond the four walls of this church, beyond the four walls of our cities, of our villages, of our state. 
It's been given to us to speak this message to the whole world. And finally, it's our message to proclaim. There's only one group of people that has a message of life to proclaim, and that is the people whose leader is still alive. Don't give me another option until you've told me that your leader is alive. Jesus is alive. It's our message to proclaim. And let me tell you, the world is not going to ask you to proclaim this message. Resistance is natural. They don't want to hear it. They're not going to make way for your values. They're not going to make way for your uh, uh, lifestyle. They're going to actively resist it. And if you don't stand for it, you'll fall for everything that they demand. Somewhere we've got to say thus far and no further. We come to declare life and life through Jesus and Jesus alone. God has provided redemption to all who trust in Christ, the Christ who has done it all. So I'll I'll conclude with this today. Easter is over. The resurrection occurred. Pentecost already happened. We have everything we need to get going. It's time to get going, y'all. It's time to get going. Y'all ready to go? Let's go. Let's pray. Let's stand and let's pray. Father, as we as we step out of Easter aftermath and, and realize just the incredible thing that you have done for us, but also the amazing mission and adventure that you've invited us to be involved in. Father, I pray that you will ignite in each and every one of us a, a passion, a desire to see your kingdom come through our lives, Lord, a desire to see people's lives changed, God. I pray that you bring your kingdom and your purpose front and center to our lives, God. That in amongst everything we're pursuing, careers, promotions, business success, uh, teaching kids, teaching adults, uh, 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 caring for people's physical health, that we will never forget that your kingdom is the priority of everything that we need to be involved in, God. No matter where we are outside of this church, that your kingdom needs to be proclaimed there. That you need to be shared with people. Father, I pray that you will move on our hearts and on our minds. That we might might recognize our own excuses. Our own cover-ups for our fear. And that we might confront ourselves and just admit that I need faith. And just take the steps to start building our faith so we can share. I pray that we might no longer hide, Lord behind these lies that tell us that we're not ready, that we can't do it, but that we'll realize that the resurrected Jesus lives on the inside of us. And by His power, we can do all things that He has purposed us to do. Father, I pray that Your Holy Spirit might come on each and every one of us. I pray that we might have a desire to be filled with power and to see you move through us in people's lives and see you transform people by revealing the truth to them. 
Father God, thank you for Easter. Thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And thank you for the church. That is the hope of the world. Sharing the true hope and the only hope with people. I pray that our, our message will be loud and clear to our communities. That you are risen. You are alive. And you are active in our lives. And you are inviting them to join in on the action. Friends, I believe God is commissioning us today. He's telling us to go to your friends, go to your family, go to your fellow workers, even go to your, 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 your foes, your enemies. And go and share the love of Christ through telling them this message about salvation through faith in Jesus. Father, I pray that that message will ring loud and clear from this group of people to our world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.